1: Bring in show music, please.
0: Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod.
2: A number worth paying attention to.
0: Inflation falling to its lowest rate in more than two years.
1: Is inflation going to come down faster than the economy deteriorates? Have the Fed's policies cooled the heat
0: without stalling growth? This
3: is exactly what a soft landing looks like. The fact that everyone now
0: expects it makes me think that now it won't happen because we've jinxed it. One big deal back on. Microsoft winning the fight against the FTC to buy Activision. This is the much bigger, this was the whale, and they missed this. What it means for regulators against big companies getting bigger. Antitrust attorney Jamila Ferris joins us.
4: Her decision brings out all the hallmarks for why vertical deals, which is what this is, are hard to challenge. All that today, plus Joe
0: Kernan and Melissa Lee take on stock surges for weight loss meds, Disney's global plan, and the looming strike deadline in Hollywood.
5: Have you ever tried to act? Every day, Joe. I I I sit here next to you and
0: I smile. All right. It's Wednesday, July 12th, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now. Today on the podcast Inflation. Higher prices have bedeviled the markets and consumers over this past year, causing pain for pocketbooks and triggering the Federal Reserve's aggressive rate hike strategy. Ultimately, the Fed has raised benchmark rates by 5 percentage points through a series of 10 increases since March 2022. Today's reading of the latest consumer price index came during our Squawk Box TV broadcast.
2: We're gonna get an answer. Rick Santelli standing by at the CME uh, in Chicago. He's going to just
0: On a monthly basis, the CPI, which measures a broad swath of prices for goods and services, rose just 0.2% in June.
1: And here we go, up two-tenths of
0: 1%, up two-tenths of 1%. This was less than expected and gave consumers some relief from price increases. Markets rallied at the open, Treasury yields down across the board. This was sort of a Goldilocks number a cooling off that could give the Fed some breathing room as it looks to bring down inflation, keep it down. Remember, this time a year ago, it was running around a 9% annual rate, the highest since the early days of the Reagan administration. And the Fed's fight, that's where we start today. Anchored by Joe Kernan and Melissa Lee at the NASDAQ in Times Square, Rick Santelli had the instant analysis on what this data point will mean to
1: the central bank. Sentiments. I just don't think that the central bank believes that we're smart enough to understand that if they take that tack, they're not being ag- aggressive enough in the here and now, and I think that's the issue. Right, all good points,
2: Rick. Uh, thanks, stay with us. Uh, let's bring in a few more uh, voices to talk about uh, this new data. Alison Schrager is a senior fellow at the Manhattan uh, Institute. Betsy Stevenson is an economics professor at the University of Michigan and a former member of the President's Council of Economic Advisors. We also have our own uh, senior markets commentator, Uh, Mike Santoli. Uh, I'll get to you in a second, Mike. Some interesting uh, Bitcoin, gold, the dollar index. I mean, they're all like just quick moves. So this was uh, a a number worth paying attention to. Allison, Fed's going how many more times?
6: Um, well, I think it will depend, certainly on the next report. This was re- expected to be good, it was, but I think there's still reasons to be concerned, particularly that inflation's still high in services, and that suggests that this last you know, 200 basis points might be a little stickier and a little bit more entrenched than what the fall might not continue to be as fast and as steady. So I think, yeah, um, potentially we might be going another 75, but it'll probably, we'll know more in the fall for sure.
2: Professor Stevenson, what, what do you make of this number? It's progress, but uh, it, it, is
3: it going to be uneven from here on? Well, let me just say, I, I think another 75 would be a mistake. And what we're seeing in this number is that this is a game that requires patience. Uh, it is coming down. Uh, we got a little stuck on core, and I think everybody's a little nervous. I think if we had seen another month of, you know, 0. 0.4, I would have been very worried and I'd be saying something very different. But... We're seeing it come down <clears throat> that point 0.2 is exactly the number we needed to see to have, you know, year over year get down under five percent. The thing the Fed has to do is it's made a promise to raise rates at least one more time. So it's going to have to do that because it sort of made that promise. It's bu- built those expectations into the market. And then I think they really need to be pointing out how inflation does have to come down slowly and it requires patience. The rate increases they've already done are still working through the system. That's why we see the number we're seeing today. And they're going to have to uh, you know, give it time to continue to work through the system. Look at the jobs report we saw last week. We see a, job, a labor market that is slowing, not crashing, but slowing. We see inflation that is slowing. This is exactly what a soft landing looks like.
2: Wow. Uh, Mike Santoli, on, on, on the 10-year and, and the two-year, are we now below where we were last Wednesday before that ADP report? Or have we given back all those? You know, it looked like, the, looked like yields were finally getting um, to believe the, the Fed. Now we're
1: back yeah. below where they were. Now they're challenging the Fed again. Well, I think they're believing the Fed in terms of the next, you know, 100 feet of road right ahead of us, the July meeting. I think that's pretty well priced at this point. Uh, the Fed has been saying, I think they've been trying to send the message, Powell has, that they're willing to allow just time at these yield levels to do some of the work for it. And and one of the reasons stocks have been able to do well this year, the whole equation has been, is inflation going to come down faster than the economy uh, deteriorates or demand slows and that's been the case inflation has been more benign than uh, than the concerns about growth have really taken hold and so that's a comfortable spot to be in and then when you're talking about a meeting in a couple of weeks for the fed and then nothing in august you have a september meeting that's very much open i think what you're seeing the market say is a better chance that the fed's just about done and by the way the fed hasn't been the main story for a while the market's been acting as if inflation was mostly a 2022 problem we're one year past that peak stagflation panic we got in markets with the 9% cpi people assuming that uh, recession was here and we've been i think essentially uh, making our peace with the current uh, current yield levels uh, who knows if that uh, if that continues i do think the market took a fair bit of credit for a pretty good inflation print today before we got it. There was a lot of confidence building that it was going to be a downside surprise. Question about whether we can persist around these levels of CPI.
5: I mean, the drop in yields, Mike, is giving a free pass, at least for now, to the tech trade after a torrid first half rally. I mean, we questioned whether or not they can run and we're seeing the primor- in reaction at least um, some fairly big gains, particularly among the higher multiple stocks like an NVIDIA and a Tesla.
1: For sure. Uh, look, the, the 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 tight connection we saw last year, though, between mega cap tech and the direction of yields, was really been broken this year. It's it's just yields has not been the main mover here. It's been confidence in you know profit margin defensibility. It's been about AI. It's been about just buying the big obvious uh, stocks that have great franchises. Uh, I do think what's most most significant about the recent market action, though, is it has broadened out a fair bit. You have like. You know, 40 percent of all S&P stocks are up 10 percent year to date. The equal weight of Russell 1000 is up 6 percent this year. It's not just been seven stocks and industrials and consumer cyclicals and transports have been outperforming. Credit looks okay. In other words, the market for now is betting we have something like a period where the soft landing seems plausible, whether we ultimately, you know, get that or not.
2: Uh, Allison, I ask this all the time and being at the Manhattan uh, Institute, could it be this easy can the fed really nail it after you know 10 years of zero and and all kinds of mistakes according to some people can we can they orchestrate this and and stick the landing can that happen
6: um, it could. I mean, I guess I'm just superstitious. And I have actually been pro soft landing until last week. And the fact that everyone now expects it makes me think that now it won't happen because we've jinxed it. So, I mean, I guess I'm still cautiously optimistic. And uh, like sort of, as I said, let's just wait and see if, as I said, what happens to wages and the parts of inflation that are a little bit harder to vanquish
2: before we declare victory. Same question, uh, Betsy.
3: Uh, You know, I think they can. I think they've been showing that they they can. You know, you you've seen the Fed oscillate between early in the pandemic. What they really cared about was the labor market and they let inflation get a little bit out of control. And now they've really pulled the hammer down on inflation. Uh, I think that they're getting the mix right. I think it's going to take a little bit of time. Nobody wants to see inflation come crashing down overnight. I think what we want to see is this nice steady decrease, um, and as long as we continue to see that, you know I think the Fed's in good shape and look we're already in an inflation range where you know things yeah. are, are getting better for families. Like we saw food at home didn't increase at all last month, um, and that's really important for everyday people that the price of their food's not going up
2: that's true all right I'm gonna, I'll end where we started just quickly uh, Rick, so do you think they're not. If they do go another 25, is that overshooting or, or is it close enough for government work? What do you think? Will, will you be happy with that? Will you be satisfied?
1: Oh, yeah, I think it's close enough for government work, Joe. And if you'd ask me if we have a soft landing, I'd say I think it's going to be great. But just like inflation being slow, the biggest, biggest problem we have is going to be commercial real estate. That's going to be the price that we pay. There's your hard landing. But it's going to okay. take years before we really know that fact.
2: Yeah, and nobody coming back to work and everything else. So, uh, yeah, commercial real estate is is challenging. All right. uh, Thanks uh, for a lot of reasons. Allison, Betsy, Rick uh, (laughs) and Mike. And it it did not disappoint. Big moves in a lot of different. uh, Big
5: moves. We'll see if they uh, they hold up there. Yeah, exactly.
2: Disney reportedly exploring strategic options for its uh, star India business, including a joint venture or sale, The Wall Street Journal reporting that the talks are in very early stages and while no potential buyer or partner has been approached so far, the company has talked uh, to at least one bank about the ways to grow the India business. Uh, that will just uh, be just one of the many topics of discussion with Disney CEO Bob Iger when he talks to David Faber in an exclusive interview on Squawk Box. I almost just said David, that, David. I almost just said when he talks to David tomorrow.
5: Oh, like he's share.
2: Almost like, he, like he's uh, Madonna. Well, Madonna. Was. I hope she's okay, because she's had some health problems. But yeah, almost like a uh, pink. Is she still around?
5: That's a, that's a very modern reference by you, Joe. You're with it.
2: I'm with it in certain ways. I'm with it in, I, I'm with, <laughs> with it in certain ways. But that'll be interesting. Uh, Drake, someone said in my ear, definitely. So,
5: okay, at least you acknowledge yeah, yeah. that this is not... I'm getting help now. I'm
2: getting help <laughs> with, with someone who you know, was born... The last century, instead of uh, <laughs> well, well, I was thinking something. Else. Oh yeah, Disney. Now see, all theme park business mm-hmm. is down in Florida, so you can't just say you go woke, you go broke. You can't. That's not what's happening down there. But supposedly, you don't need one of those passes. You don't. You, you're right, not. No, you're, there are
5: no lines, according to yeah, the Wall Street Journal. Never,
2: never yeah. has that been the case, and I don't know what that means. Maybe it's the beginning of where we didn't go out for two years. We're going crazy. Everybody's got to get to Disney Yeah, right. pull forward. And then went. all of a sudden, yeah, now maybe. So, And that would say a lot about the Fed and whether we finally have hit the point where all this pent-up demand is, is starting to be obeying. satisfied.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and prices start to come down.
2: Because Disney's such a bellwether of, of what's happening.
5: Right. But the and travel stocks are going bonkers. What so. about
2: the, the, the twins? The, the twins met up with all the... Disney princesses down there yet? Or has they don't know has
5: anything it? about Disney princesses.
2: It's coming later or it's never coming?
5: I, I don't know how That's I true. feel about the princesses. What about, so okay,
2: let's forget about the princesses. What about the rides and maybe the haunted?
5: Uh, well, they're the not ant- tall enough for any rides at this point. Right. <laughs> so it wouldn't be fruitful for uh, me to go to Disney. So, uh, I'm looking for every excuse to not have to go. You can and stop by. Trip you can, off as you long can, as can as definitely possible. get some good
2: <laughs> tickets to the other great Harry Potter type stuff.
5: Well, if everybody wants a good Universal.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that is a, that's to a given. Superior. That's a given. Yeah, that's a given. Okay.
5: <laughs> the Screen Actors Guild has agreed to a last-minute request from studios and streaming services to meet with federal mediators over contract negotiations, but doubt a deal will be reached by tonight's deadline. The union says it is committed to ne- the negotiation process and will explore every opportunity to make a deal, but is not confident that the employers have any intention of bargaining toward an agreement. If a deal is not reached, the union will go on strike at 11.59 p.m. tonight, joining the Writers Guild of America that has been on strike for more than two months. It
2: kills me to admit that I really hope they don't do it.
5: Why? Because you feel like then you can't I don't like. Here? I don't
2: like that whole, I don't you know, actors, and, but but I, I like them. I, I need them. I, I, I love the content, what they do. What they're,
5: will we watch?
2: They're really amazing, too. Have you ever tried to act? <laughs> well,
4: Every day,
7: tried, Joe.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, I, 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 I look, sit like,
0: here next let to me, you and I Let me, let me. All
2: right, let me uh, I take back that, uh, that, yeah, that question. You sit here and smile. No, but uh, I tried at one point. It is hard. It oh, is, yeah. If you're not trained, you think anybody it's can like do anything. that.
5: Anything. It looks easy. Like oh, people my God. say, oh, it'd be so easy yeah. to be a news anchor.
2: I had people laugh at, me, <laughs> at the guy that was trying to teach the class. Taylor Swift's uh, "Bad Blood" with Ticketmaster uh, still running hot. Overseas, fans in France are reporting issues with accessing Ticketmaster's site to purchase seats for the singer's Eras tour, uh, leading to an abrupt delay of sales uh, for six upcoming shows. An explanation was not immediately clear, but in posts on uh, Ticketmaster's French Twitter site several hours later, the company cited a problem with a third-party provider, said it's working to resolve uh, the matters uh, as soon as possible. Okay, so you haven't taken a Twins to... To Disney, yeah, but too small. Are they Swifties yet? No. Oh, that's coming.
5: They like listen to Blippi's excavator song. Okay, they're that's, too young, but that
2: is coming. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Girls with Taylor Swift is like, whoa, that is like a cultural phenomenon. Like, that. have you ever been? Have you been? No. Oh, I've been like three. Have you really? Oh, yeah. They're so expensive. I'm the dad. I have a shirt that says "The Swiftie Dad."
5: Yeah. That's your excuse. You like, just admit that love you're her. a Swiftie yourself.
2: Oh, I'm hardcore. Seriously, she's amazing. Do you know how many songs she's written that are just unbelievable? Lyrics and, I mean, she has some collaborations, but she's like a uh, once in a generation talent. i never
5: seen such a crush displayed by you.
2: Okay. I th- what? what Endearing. What, what are you, top liver? I, I begged you <laughs> yesterday to come.
5: And here I am, you but know, I'm not coming back tomorrow. Here
2: you are acting like, you, like you've been to a uh, Stella Adler course, because you're doing so well.
0: Next on Squawk Pod, the long road ahead for the Federal Trade Commission's Lena Khan, former DOJ and antitrust official Jamila Ferris, weighs in on Microsoft's victory over the FTC to block its 69 billion dollar merger with Activision.
4: The battle lines have been drawn here. There'll be lots of people criticizing the chair this morning and then the advocates on the other side who've been pushing for reform of the antitrust laws will point to this as this is a reason why we need to change the laws.
0: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over fourteen hundred investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialised across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow. Today, pursue your tomorrow with PGM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Joe Kernan.
1: Stand by Joe, here's Mike, here.
2: Shares of Activision Blizzard uh, surging more than 10% in yesterday's session, uh, hitting their highest level since 2021. Federal judge in San Francisco, a Biden appointee, so this is not, you know, MAGA judge, uh, denied the FTC's motion for a preliminary injunction to stop the $69 billion deal. The ruling said the FTC failed to show The deal would result in substantial reduction in competition that would harm consumers. And a spokesman for the FTC said the agency was disappointed in the outcome given uh, the clear threat this merger poses to open competition. Overseas, British regulators are preparing to consider Microsoft's proposal to resolve antitrust concerns in the UK. Uh, after moving to block the acquisition in April, suggesting the parties may come to a resolution, Bobby Kotick, Activision Blizzard CEO, he's been confident. He was on here right on the set saying he, he said they're going to prevail. The EU, I mean, if the EU is okay with it, I don't know what the UK is thinking. I really don't, but we'll see whether
5: They'll they probably settle.
2: They'll f- probably settle. But but here, the the two other platforms that the FTC is reportedly worried about not getting Call of Duty. On one of them under oath, they said, "We'll keep selling it to Sony." On the the other one, they got a 10-year deal Mm -hmm. with the other company to to let them sell Call of Duty. It makes no sense to not have it on different platforms to sell more. So, you know, Lena Khan supposedly says it doesn't take both. You you have to have the ability to to deprive someone of it, and you have the You have to have the incentive to want to deprive another. Uh, Satya you got to have both. In, if, if you just have the ability but have no incentive or no right. reason to do it, why do you just pick one thing and say that that's going to do it?
5: Right. Um, Satya Nadella did say in testimony that he was open to the open console, that open platform. But right now, right. there are these agreements in place. Right. So it, it wasn't like. And it's a
2: nascent industry, it's, a, it's cloud right. based. Everybody wants to build that out, and it, it just makes no sense. And you, you shouldn't go in there. With an ideology as head of the FTC that.
5: But, but, the, With an
2: Elizabeth Warren ideology that all murders are bad.
5: But this loss was a huge blow. I mean, they, you know, they had other smaller losses like Meta trying to acquire within. You probably never heard of within because it's so small. So they tried to block that too. Meta prevailed. Meta ended up acquiring within. This is the much bigger. This was the whale. And they missed this one. So this is, you know, the other tech companies have got to be thinking we can now take a look at acquisitions. Finally,
2: joining us now former Department of Justice and FCC antitrust official Jamelia Ferris. She's a partner in Freshfield's antitrust competition uh, and trade group. And it's good to see you. Uh, Jamelia, do you you. do you um, where do you come down? Just on, on the, the action um, that Lena Khan took in, in the first place, do you think that this judge, uh, which was not, he's not, she was not a, uh, she was a Biden appointee, so the, the, the things that she said in terms of why she uh, made this decision makes sense to me, that you can't use one or the other. You have to have not only the ability uh, to hurt uh, your competitors, but also the incentive. And she said the, the, there's no incentive uh, for, for Microsoft to do that, does that make sense to you?
4: Yeah, I mean, look, her decision um, brings out all the hallmarks for why vertical deals, which is what this is—a deal not involving companies that compete today—are um, hard to challenge. And she talks about that in the case; she cites um, AT and T, the AT and T challenge, saying, you know, the, the agencies haven't won a deal like this in um, years. So uh, that part is not hugely surprising um, in terms of the outcome. Uh, you know, what a lot of the commentary had been is the FTC um, taking advantage and using the opportunity to challenge a deal that might not stand up in court by looking to authorities outside the U.S. And of course, the U.K. is still in play, as you know. Um, but it points out the challenge of these kinds of deals being blocked in the U.S. court, even while the agencies had ma- have made it you know, part of their mission to challenge them
2: chair khan obviously has her own point of view on antitrust uh in general do you understand it is it it's i don't want to be too simplistic but are are mergers just bad in general in her view or or just by definition anti-competitive and and is that good is that good to cast a pall on on just the whole uh deal-making ability over time hasn't there been some societal benefits to uh, to, to, to mergers? Are they all bad?
4: Yeah, well, you know, it's hard to be categorical here. Some mergers are bad. Some mergers are good. That's why you have a system in the U.S. where you go to court and present the evidence. Um, I do think the agency has been quite clear about their mission to challenge mergers and their concerns about consolidation. Um, you know, one of their oft-repeated um, mantras right now is certain deals should die in the boardroom. And um, uh, that they've been clear about that. They're trying to send that message, put sand in the gears of deals. I think one of the challenges with some of these losses is it gets a lot harder to go in front of a board and say, wow, your deal has really um is has a lot of issues from an antitrust perspective and the agencies are going to want to block it. If you're the board looking at these stats and looking at the repeated losses by the agencies, you might say this becomes something we just need to do a deal. Um, we understand the agencies are going to want to challenge it. But the courts seem to disagree. The courts don't seem to think these deals should die in the boardroom. So we're going to take our chances in court. And I think that's what you're going to see happen over time, which makes an enforcement agenda a little bit tougher.
2: I mean, we've, we have had some of our guests. Uh, I don't their point of view is probably different. Jay Clayton, for example, who said she, she's going to just challenge everything. And um, and and if you lose, you lose. But you just know if, if you're as companies, you know that they're you're, it's going to be challenged so take that into account b- before you do it which is its own sort of uh enforcement action in and of itself you don't think this is going to change anything though I, I saw in your notes and you know the journal they're going to see things like this Lena Khan whiffs again uh and uh, she's going to keep doing it and it's it's not going to matter you don't think this is going to make her be any less uh, uh actionable in in the future on these cases
4: So look, the battle lines have been drawn here. There'll be lots of people criticizing the chair this morning. And then the advocates on the other side who've been pushing for reform of the antitrust laws will point to this as this is a reason why we need to change the laws. She's the court got it wrong. The judges are too conservative, even if a Biden appointee. So you're going to see the narrative on both sides with each point of view, having their agenda and what they're pushing. I think there may be deals on the margins that she starts to think and maybe has already thought about whether this is really the one to challenge. But on those priority items that she really cares about, I don't think she's going to stop. In fact, if you when they criticize prior administrations and those win records, they'll say, well, they weren't bringing the hard cases. So it's hard to see there'll be a hard pivot. Um, does it get harder for the agencies? Yes. Um, they're setting up precedent uh, there are other you know, opinions that the courts will be citing now. They might start to pause about whether or not they really should be rejecting all of the remedies that companies are offering in order to address competition concerns. That is about a line that the agency has drawn and it's proving to hurt them in court. So here, Microsoft committed to make their game available. Um, The court cited that in their opinion as something that really mattered. And the agencies have been discounting those kinds of commitments, not just under this chair, but for, you know, in in recent administrations.
2: As a complete novice, and I'm I'm not a, I don't even play one on TV, an attorney, but I I think at tech and and the war on tech, I, I don't really feel like prices haven't just continued to come down. I don't think anything's that expensive. I don't think I've been harmed by any of these mergers. And I'm wondering whether the European viewpoint that it's not necessarily consumers that are harmed, but it's employees that might be in the companies that are merging that are harmed. Is that an approach that, that we want to take that we need to think? Of? I mean, wouldn't there be a lot of buggy whip companies still around if, if it was all about just just keeping jobs and worrying about that instead of worrying about whether you're harming the consumer? We don't want it to totally turn into the EU model, do we?
4: Well, I think the U.S. regulators um, do have concerns about what's happening with employees. um, And and they have just a general view of being concerned about consolidation. And that's what you're seeing. So... Um, that's what they're pushing for. The courts are stopping them. So whether it's what they want or what we want, um, <laughs> it's going to be hard to change the model under current law because in the U S we have the backstop of the courts.
2: Yeah. So you got one agency worried about jobs and you got the fed, which wants to put people out of work. So we got to figure out, uh, which, which agency has the, has, has the right move. It's good to have you on. And, uh, yeah, I think you. it'd be a great resource for us in the future since we're going to keep bringing all these cases, uh, Jamelia. Always so. a lot of antitrust
4: news these days. It,
2: it, there is. All right. Thanks for, uh, Thanks. for, great for coming over.
7: To. Okay. See Okay. will be next.
0: Coming up is everybody on Ozempic or Wegovy? the big business of diabetes drugs for weight loss and the potential risks. Healthcare analyst Jared Holes.
7: Novo and Lilly have both been rocket ships. I think both stocks go up to the tune of, you know, potentially 10%, maybe a little bit more. If it seems that
8: the drug arm is clearly benefiting.
0: SquawkPod will be right back.
8: From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway.
0: You're listening to Squawk Pod today with Joe Kernan and Melissa Lee. Here's Melissa.
5: Several makers of weight loss drugs tumbling after EU regulators said it will x- expand its review of drugs used to treat obesity and diabetes after reports of some patients experiencing suicidal thoughts, shares of Novo Nordisk, which makes Ozempic, and Eli Lilly, the maker of Munjaro, both slidey in yesterday's trading. There's also a separate study showing that many users of anti-obesity drugs stop taking them after a year. Let's find out what this could mean for the sector. Let's bring in Muzuho Securities healthcare sector specialist, Jared Holtz. Jared, always good to see you. Um, Let's start off with the Novo Nordisk uh, study. Um, what are what are we expecting? Because we are looking for another set of data, which will which will reveal whether or not there are cardiovascular benefits to taking this drug a little bit longer term.
7: Yeah, Melissa, thanks a lot. Good morning. Um, yeah, so this study is really important. Um, you know, this is going to show the you know how well the drug is working versus placebo for patients with a variety you know in a variety of cardiovascular outcomes. So we're gonna know over a two-year period how the patients on the drug are doing uh, versus patients that are not taking anything. And hopefully there's a big enough separation, a big enough divide in those two patient populations that will, you know, tell payers, tell insurance companies, listen, there are significant benefits here for patients, and we're going to, you know, cover these drugs more fully. Right now, it seems like most patients that are on them are probably on them as much for vanity reasons as they are for actual therapeutic reasons. Mm -hmm. So this this Novo Nordisk trial could really expand the market significantly if we see a big enough variance between the two patient populations here.
5: So basically, just to underscore this point, because this is really crucial for the drug, if, if it is shown that there are profound or distinct cardiovascular benefits, then that will increase the chances that these very expensive drugs right now will in fact be covered by insurance, therefore opening up the addressable market. Is that correct?
7: That's right. That's exactly right.
5: Okay. Um, So when are we expecting these results to be out?
7: Those results should be out in the next month or so. The timing is not perfectly clear. Um, But, you know, the latest that I've heard on this is like at some point this summer, early fall, so fairly soon.
5: Okay. So Is this in Novo stock at all? And how does this other separate study showing that patients come off of it in 12 months? How does does that play into this at all?
7: I think it's somewhat in the stock. I mean, Mm -hmm. Novo and Lilly have both been rocket ships, especially, you know, versus the other peers in large cap pharma. Um, I think both stocks, you know, go up to the tune of, you know, potentially 10 Mm percent, maybe a little bit more if it seems that the drug arm is clearly benefiting. These patients are experiencing cardiovascular episodes at a much lower degree than those that are not on the drug. I mean, that would basically prove that if you start taking these, um, you know, despite potentially what your BMI is, you know, that you're, you know, you're receiving significant health benefits along the way. That's really crucial for insurance companies because they don't want to pay for other therapies, you know, and this would kind of, you know, tell them that if you take Ozempic or one of these other drugs, then your likelihood of taking a a bunch of other therapies along the way is, is reduced. And so their cost doesn't go up as much. If, if not, you know, it's going to be tougher. Um, These other reports are around getting off in one year. I mean, not that surprising. Um, You know, if you see the, the weight loss results that you want to over a year, you know, I think the, you know, proclivity for most patients would be, you know, stop treatment, you know, see how you feel. Maybe make some better decisions with respect to lifestyle choices, diet, exercise, and then you know, go back on the drug as needed. To me, it's almost like a, an as-needed drug. I'm not really sure how many patients outside of the you know morbidly obese are going to use this chronically. So I wasn't ultimately that surprised by that.
2: Jared, do you wonder do we understand the the actual neurological mechanism for this? And I, I mean, I've seen. Uh, SSRIs and, and, and antidepressants that, that have uh, this, this weird characteristic of, of uh, causing suicidal thoughts, are there neurotransmitters? I guess there must be. If it makes you feel like you don't want to eat, by definition, there's some brain activity there with neurotransmitters. So is that, is that, how, is that what they tie it to? That, that does
7: sound dangerous to me, just to lose a few pounds. I mean, I think there's probably some light connection. You know, the the thing that makes me feel a little bit less concerned on this, I mean, I, it, I I do think we have to continue to monitor it, obviously, but the thing that makes me a little bit less concerned is that these drugs have been used for diabetic patients for many years, and so, right. um, you know, moving into the obese we know,
2: population... Yeah. yeah, we probably you know, know if, if there was... a. You'd just do the math on any type of percentage, and, and you would say, what about... Yeah. Much lesser, or more cosmetic thing, but Ozempic oh, face. I read about that. I don't want Ozempic face. I've got enough problems. I, it, but if if you all of a sudden look all sallow and and uh, bleh, you know
7: like corpse like what? I mean that's like my baseline, so I kind of understand <laughs> that. But um, <laughs> I, I don't I don't know. I mean I think if yeah. you're if you're very very heavy, you've got other issues to deal with. I mean I yeah. I think again right, right, a lot right. of this is. A lot of this is patients that are taking the drugs that probably are more borderline. And so if they have events on the other side, it is what Uh, it is. Yeah,
2: You look great. All right, Jared. Uh, Thank you. I'll see you Friday.
0: See you Friday.
5: I'll see you tonight.
2: All right. Kelly,
0: Kelly tomorrow. And that's Squawk Pod for today, this Wednesday. On our rundown tomorrow, don't miss CNBC's David Faber with Disney CEO Bob Iger. You will get it right here in your podcast feed, so stay tuned. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Our thanks again to the one and only Melissa Lee.
2: I have a shirt that says uh, Swifty Dad.
0: Just admit that you're
2: a Swifty yourself. Oh, well, it's hardcore.
0: And our thanks to you for listening. Please click that follow button and get the best of our three-hour morning show in Squawk Pod every day. We'll meet you back here tomorrow
1: we are clear. Thanks, guys.
8: From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive...